You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely other half, Dr. Jess. Hello, Brandon. Well, hello there. <laughs> Why did you say it like that? <laughs> I don't know. I like I like saying your name, Brandon. Brandon? Because I don't really call you Brandon in real life. No, you do not. I call you, hey, you. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I respond. <laughs> I guess I call you babe. Yeah, I call you babe, too. That's it. It's easy, so we never forget each other's names. We never <laughs> screw it up. Oh, I'm in a mood today. I'm so excited because one of my besties is about to join us in just a minute. She's the best in the business. She is funny and punny and creative and empathetic and full of the best sex ed info. We are talking about sex and pleasure educator Luna Matadas, who teaches people how to build better relationships to their bodies, helps people to practice empathy with their partners in terms of insecurities and needs, and really encourages people to get curious about all things erotic. And all of her work is trauma and equity informed. And she talks about pleasure topics like anal play and feminine dominance and threesomes and unicorns. And she hosts a podcast herself called The Plug. And we're going to be chatting with Luna about body image and pegging and normalizing anal play. And uh, we have a question about a small penis, some fetishes and more. So before Luna joins us. Luna's great. I mean, she's just fantastic. I'm very excited too. I know. I love chatting with her. And I chat with her almost every day offline. Now, well, I guess it's online, technically. Everything's <laughs> online now. But I wanted to just draw attention to the fact that my friends at Womanizer are having a sale right now. I just noticed on the Starlet and Pro. And if you're not familiar with Womanizer toys, ooh, they are among my personal favorite. They are, this is a brand that is really an industry disruptor in that they patented and created brand new technology a few years ago that never existed in sex toys before they hit the scene. And they call it Pleasure Air. So Pleasure Air Technologies technology is one of the most direct paths to orgasms for so many people who have clitorises. And I would describe the sensations as sort of a cross between Hmm. pulsing and vibing and sucking and kissing and it's all around the sensitive head of the clitoris so it's kind of a tiny little opening that fits around the head of your clit and it uses these indirect tiny changes in air pressure to create this super uh, unique sensation and you will see them described as suction toys but they're really not just that. They're much, much more than that. And as I said, the Womanizer Starlet, which is one of their models, and the Womanizer Pro are currently discounted on their website at womanizer.com. So encourage people to check them out and please use code Dr. Jess, D-R-J-E-S-S, as always, to save a couple extra dollars and also to let them know that you heard about it here. Now, let's get to the star of the show, Luna Matadas. I feel like Luna needs an intro, though. Well, you do the intro. I feel like it's that, uh, you remember the boxing announcers? I remember. You remember? I remember. When we used to watch television? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, non-binary folks, those of all genders, welcome to the podcast, Miss Luna Matata. <laughs> <laughs> Thank 
Thank you so much for joining us, Luna. How's it going today? Oh, it's going really, really good. We talk all the time, you and I, about our our shared struggles. People may not know that Luna and I are, are we're twinsies. Yeah, yeah, except on raisins. We, we don't agree about raisins. Well, that's because <laughs> Luna has terrible taste and likes raisins in her cookies and cakes. <laughs> You know, I'm... judgment is something we can all work on. <laughs> a dried fruit aficionado. I appreciate that. As Thank somebody you. who enjoys many a dried fruit, mango right? is my jam. Fact. Ooh. Oatmeal, raisin cookies suck. Okay. You know I, I'm More for me. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I'm not supposed to yuck anybody's yum, but I just, I don't understand when the raisins are in the cookies and when raisins are in carrot cake, that just infuriates me. I appreciate this passion around raisin hatred. Like, it's good to see you come alive. <laughs> For my 40th birthday a few years back, I got a wonderful gift from my mother-in-law, which was a massive tray of dried fruit. Oh, my God. It was amazing. It was an awesome birthday present. You Thank know who you, ate MJ. a lot of dried fruit? My grandma. <laughs> it's got to be, it's got to be, um, I like tropical Dried fruits, though. That's my jam. Okay, enough, enough dried fruit talk, right? I bet you Luna likes dried mangoes. I do. I love They're my favorite. And dried papaya. Super good. Do you, do you call it papaya in Ghana? or do Because we call it papa. Uh, no, papaya. Yeah. Oh. I like papa. Papa. <laughs> papa. And you put it your little pinky fancy. finger up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. We have a ton of questions for you. Are you willing to help us out with these? I'm so ready. Okay, so this first one ties into your podcast, The Plug, along with B-Vibe, which you'll be sharing some information about. But uh, I'm going to read it to you, and I really appreciate some of the ways people are really thoughtful in the way they send in these questions. So this person says, my partner, who goes by he, him, of seven years and I are both in a monogamous relationship and we're pretty open sexually and intimately. We have explored prostate play with strap-ons, plugs, fingers, etc. He identifies as straight, I identify as pansexual. I absolutely love pleasuring him and it gives me pleasure satisfying his sexual and intimate needs. I consider myself an open-minded person, however, because I tend to have black and white thinking that gets in the way of my rational and emotional mind, which I feel like our society has formed us to feel shame when it comes to straight men and anal pleasure. How do we normalize strap-on taboo play in today's very heteronormative centered society i mean this is what you do for a living luna oh yes yes i love this question i love it it's so juicy and not in a dried fruit kind of way <laughs> like it's just like i think that that this is something that so many people deal with whether you're a giver or receiver of anal pleasure to someone who's cisgendered and, and heterosexual and a man and it's all wrapped up in in so many different narratives that we have around what a particular sexual activity means or what it's like it says about you. And, you know, I think the reality is in a very simple way that we all have an anus and <laughs> you know, most of us and we, we can all experience pleasure anally. And some of us are just not into it in the same way. Some people like raisins and some people don't like raisins. And it doesn't make you a horrible person if you like raisins, <laughs> Jess. And so, <laughs> Um, I think in terms of like normalizing it, I think uh, there's something that, that we can do inside of ourselves and really just challenging, like where does this insecurity come from? Whose voice is this insecurity representing? Where
Where did I learn this? What evidence do I have contrary to this? So I experience pleasure. I like this thing. And for a lot of men, a lot of cis men, I think there is an opportunity also to investigate their um, ideas around masculinity. And so anything that kind of veers out of cis het heteronormative type of sex, it really challenges our sense of masculinity, whether we embody that or we're attracted to that. And um, I think that's where a lot of people really get stuck. They start to feel like they're going to be judged, that they're judging themselves, that they're not going to be as sexy or attractive or virile kind of feeling to their partner. Do you do you run into this, babe? Yeah, I'm sitting here kind of acknowledging and shaking my head and, and agreeing with a lot of what you're saying because I would definitely say that I fall in, I check a lot of those boxes. It's, you know, how I identify and the idea of anal play and prostate play, I know is, can be very, very pleasurable, but I've been uncomfortable starting, like it's taken me years to get where I am now, which is like, okay, I'm receptive. I'm open to this. I'm willing to do it, but it's taken me a long time to get to here. And now that I'm here, I'm not really sure how to go about it in its entirety to, to understand whether or not I like it. So... I mean, I like the idea right off the top of my head of, I don't know that I'm comfortable somebody just being like, I'm going to start penetrating you. Um, and this is what we're going to do. It's like, okay, start slow. I've learned from some great people that we've had on the podcast and a lot of others that, you know, we start slow. And the idea of, of like even using a toy that pushes it up against the outside that vibrates, right? Um, because there are other insecurities too, where it's it's like, you know, what if we do this and there is poop, right? Or what if we do this and I'm not okay with it? Or, you know, like, how do you stop? How do you start? What's okay? And then I think at the end of the day, something that somebody said to me years ago is like, before you do it to somebody else, you should do it to yourself. Somebody? Right? I said that. Okay, Jess said it to you. <laughs> so um, thank you, Jess. Just I appreciate that. Um, but I, and I have... Uh, again, open book, Brandon, um, started to kind of just explore, even in the shower, something as simple as it's like, okay, well, I'm washing there every day. It may not be super arousing the environment, but it's like, can you just touch and explore and kind of feel a little bit and see like, what does it feel like? Um, you know, if you master, if I masturbate, can I masturbate and play down there as well? See how that feels. You know what I mean? Because that first step is I'm, I'm uncomfortable talking about this, but it's just because I'm being very open to thousands and thousands of people here, but it's the idea that... And my mom. And my, <laughs> Hi, mom. And my mom. Hey, MJ, what's up? <laughs> Hi, Luna's um, mom. <laughs> uh, but it's the idea that you're, you're doing something, that I'm doing something that I was told growing up that you didn't do, right? So I've learned, no, 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 this is a great place to enjoy a lot of pleasure, but you know, where I'm at now is I'm like, okay, so, you know, the next step, I'm, I'm taking small baby steps, but I'm just reflecting back on how, you know, how do you get started, right? If you're, if you're comfortable taking down all of these preconceived ideas of what it is. Yeah. And this is something that you explore really in detail on your podcast. So the podcast is called The Plug. It's powered by B-Vibe. And I think in the earlier episodes, you talk about some of these things, right? Yeah, yeah. I loved when you came on our episode, our premiere episode, and you were talking about poop and pain. And, and, and I loved the way that you presented, you know, what's the worst case scenario that if penetration doesn't happen, if there's poop, if there's, you know, is your partner going to leave you? 
Is that, are they just going to be like, oh, you shit on my finger or my dildo and now we're over, you know? Like, that's a pretty fragile relationship you got there. (laughs) (laughs) And I think we also go into really some of these, these nuances about our feels about this kind of stuff. And I love hearing from... From you, Brandon, that that this is, you know, even to talk about it and tell, you know, your your mother-in-law and like my mom <laughs> that like, there's these, this feel about it that that is even associated with like touching your own butt. And and I think my experience with a lot of cishet men that have wanted to be pegged have never touched their own butt. And and there's something even, you know, this this idea of even owning that pleasure for themselves. They feel that either that's going to say something about themselves, even if no one would know about it. Nobody's going to know. <laughs> and they're still really uncomfortable with with touching their own anus. And I love the idea of having play that's external. So rimming or putting a vibrator against the butthole or just massage, massaging the crack. I teach a really good crack massage and <laughs> like being able to to kind of just go with the flow sensations i think it's really tough under toxic masculinity for men to decenter penises and and to not be all about that you know the penis is doing the penetrating the penis is doing the thing the penis is doing everything when you know men's bodies just like everybody else's bodies have tons of erogenous zones and tons of different arousal responses and lots of different ways to get turned on and getting started with butt play can sometimes mean that the erection isn't there that you're really focusing on just like feeling out what are these anal nerve endings? What kind of pleasure is that giving me? Um, what does this feel like? What are my fantasies around this? How do I want to feel when this is happening? If somebody else is doing it and that can be overwhelming. It can also be kind of focused on an intellectual exploration of the anus. It can also feel like, well, I'm not sure if I like this yet. And I think validating for your partner that all those feelings are okay. Wherever you get to with butt play, that's totally fine. It doesn't have to be, like porn where you know the pizza guy comes over and pegs you i don't know is that is that something that happens in porn (laughs) yes and then they let the pizza get cold i talk about all the time it makes me really mad that the pizza just sits there like don't you want to eat the pizza first for me if i had a prostate i would just sit there eating the pizza and someone can deal with my prostate in behind (laughs) while i'm eating the pizza there's probably a term for that never have i seen somebody get like legitimately upset watching porn because she's like the food is getting cold (laughs) what is going on other people are like this isn't realistic or you know this just reinforces these sexist gender roles i'm like but the pizza's also cold the food (laughs) (laughs) this makes so much sense to me knowing your love of food (laughs) but a lot of a lot of what luna's saying i mean I, i I, t- I totally hear and I love how you talk about anal play, about the butt, about all of this, because it's just when I've watched you present in your classes, it's so fun. You're an incredible presenter and the information just it becomes a conversation. It's just so I immediately feel more comfortable, more open, listening, absorbing learning from you so anybody that's interested i would certainly encourage you to please like go to luna's site lunamatadas.com and you know buy a video or two or three because they will definitely make you much more comfortable but again from my own experience i just found it really helpful to just start by playing on my own because i think what the two of you are saying is even if you're not even if you're unsure how to get into it initially how do you even start the conversation with somebody so i found like if i was able to just explore 
on my own first, it's I've immediately already know, okay, I kind of like this. Maybe this does warrant a conversation with my partner as opposed to one day over dinner, I just drop it. And then my partner is totally caught off guard and um, you know, isn't really sure how to respond. Whereas in this case, you've already done it. Can, can we go back to the crack massage? Can you give us some techniques for that crack massage, please? Yes, yes. So one of my favorites is uh, praying to the crack. So you're going to put your hands in like a little prayer position and you're going to make sure there's some lube on the nice edges of your hand. And then you're just going to rub the, your hands close together up and down the crack. And so you can slide them up and down or you can roll them up and down. Um, and what's this doing? What this is doing is getting the, the knuckle part and the softer, fleshier parts of, of the side of your hand. Um, it's allowing it to stimulate the butthole as well as the, the nerve endings that are leading up to your lower back. And so it's just relaxing and your fist isn't going to fall into somebody's asshole. So there's, Oops. you know, <laughs> there's like no worry about penetration. So the person receiving gets to feel all of this delicious kind of massage on their these sensitive nerve endings without worrying that okay well in two minutes maybe I'm gonna have to try and like take it or maybe they're gonna put something in me and it just allows the um, nervous system to just relax into sensation instead of expectation of what's coming next. Great and what about for prostate massage so let's say you've already played with yourself in the shower you kind of know what it feels like you've got to know your butthole I actually should remind people as well that we have a whole podcast on anal play that I suggest you go back and listen to because we talk about you know how to get to know the sphincters and all of those different sensations. Let's say you're there and you're ready to explore the prostate for the first time. Uh, How would you suggest people massage that prostate area? So I'm such a big fan of of prostate massage and prostate massage education and and anal education in general, because I think that so much of what we've seen in porn around prostates is like really focused on aggressive internal prostate stimulation leading to prostate milking. So a bigger ejaculation. And for some people, prostate pleasure feels just relaxing or it amplifies other sensations. It doesn't have to lead to orgasm. It doesn't have to lead to milking. Um, So you can stimulate the prostate externally through the perineum. Um, Some people call it the taint. I like the nacho because it's nacho dick and nacho ass. (laughs) And that that you get this chance to to stimulate the prostate externally gently. And so this can be done by just taking two knuckles and rubbing them up and down the prostate, putting pressure towards the front of the body. So your upstroke, if, if someone's lying on their back and you're massaging with your knuckles. And so you're just stimulating the, the beautiful nerve endings in the perineum, but also giving some internal pressure to where the prostate might be. And then when you're ready to go inside of, of the um, butthole to actually uh, do some internal prostate stimulation, you want to make sure that your fingers are curved towards the front of the body. And so the prostate likes mild stimulation, but firm stimulation. So it has to be consistent. It has to be firm. And so sometimes I, I see there's like lots of different techniques, like windshield wipers and like, you know, moving around and, and those might work for, for your body. So taking your fingers and exploring in circles or um, exploring side to side or up and down, but give the person a little bit of an opportunity to sink into the sensation and ask them, you know, Hey, like, how does this feel? 
feel? Is that the spot? Like, what are you, what are you experiencing right now? Do you want more of this? Do you want faster? Do you want slower? Because the feedback from the person is really what guides me into what to do next. It's their body. They're really getting into the sensation. And if something's uncomfortable, I want them to tell me, yeah, I don't like that. You can also try just having your fingers in there. And once you've found the prostate, which is usually only about like an inch or an inch and a half in, and it's only about an inch wide. Um, and it, it does feel a little bit different than the rest of the muscly kind of anal tissue in the ass. But you, you could also offer your partner the chance to drive, like let them take control and kind of wiggle their bum around on your fingers until they find a spot that feels good. And then you can try windshield wipers or stroking or come hither motions. I love that, putting the person whose body is being penetrated in the driver's seat. It's the same thing for the G spot, right? How do you find, people will say, well, how do I find it? In what position? I'm like, let them sit there and move around. They know their body, right? So one toy Brandon has played with a little bit, and we won't get into his report right now, but that is the Vector by WeVibe, which vibrates against the prostate and along the perineum. But you have a series of toys from B-Vibe that you're very, very familiar with. Can you tell us what a great starter toy is for, not just for the butt, but specifically for the prostate? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I do think I think We Vibes is is a great toy too. I think it, it's got lots of it's it's kind of shaped in the way of like a thumb, and so the the padded part of the toy is pushing up against the prostate. Some people need more of a, a curvature, and so We Vibe has um, this great anal massage education kit, and it can be used actually on anybody's body. And so what it is, it's a wand style vibrator, so very powerful, very rumbly, and then it has an attachment on the head that has this curve and weighted type of arm and so you get this curvature with the benefit of gravity from the weight inside and then you get the vibration from the wand you can also use that on g-spot so it's actually really good it's a good toy for anybody's body so that is the anal training kit and education set and that is at bvibe.com be like brandon because i know we're talking about two companies two fabulous companies that sound very similar because uh, i had mentioned we vibe but you're talking about the b as in brandon b vibe anal training kit and education set and i'm wondering though luna do you really love this set or do you really just like it because there's a unicorn on the on the box why do you know me so well <laughs> <laughs> I said to someone yesterday, I was like, yeah, I think the, you know, the name of my autobiography is going to be dildos and unicorns. That's like, (laughs) and like, she doesn't, I know you like what's inside of it, but I feel like you bought it for the box. Let's just be honest. I really did. I really did. (laughs) Uh, We have a bunch of other questions. Any last thoughts on prostate play before we move on to lactation fetishes? Yeah, yeah. I think the the one big takeaway that I think sometimes people miss around prostate pleasure is that you can go super slow. Like this doesn't have to be like a get it in and get it going kind of um, experience. I think these sensations are often new and really intense and they can feel, they can be putting pressure around the nerve endings and all of our anatomy that's connected to our bladder. And so it might at first really confuse your sense of self or your sense of your body. And um, it, so it takes some time to adjust to those sensations. So if you try it once and you don't like it, I mean, go slow and try again and make sure that you're using a shit ton of good lube. Spit is cute. It is not lube. So we really need a good water-based lube or a silicone lube, whatever you're comfortable with, and um, allowing that to be reapplied at, if you're doing any kind of penetration. I think sometimes we put it on at first and then we forget that we need to, to add it in as we're thrusting. 
Love it. Keep it handy. All right. So I have a very general question. And all they wrote to me was, can you talk about lactation fetishes? And I thought, well, who better than Luna Matadas to tell us what a lactation fetish is, uh, what it's not, and how can you kind of start exploring if this is something that interests you? Mm, Yeah. Lactation fetishes, I think, are um, one of the the kind of fetishes that aren't known about as much but that people might be engaging in in parts of it that that are exciting for them so we can relate to it in in some ways so lactation fetish usually refers to someone who might have an interest in breast milk so they might think that breast milk is erotic they might feel that it's a body fluid and that's why it's sexy it's more of you i get to take more of you um it might be connected to uh fetishes or interest or sexualization around pregnancy and so the changes that that bodies make and it also could be connected to feelings of, of nursing. And so it could, there could be no milk present or no breast milk present, but there is this um, soothing or nurturing or adoring type of feeling that can come from uh, mimicking breastfeeding. I think that a lot of people, um, anytime they hear something that is um, not necessarily overtly erotic, which is the case for all fetishes. Fetishes are eroticizing things that aren't normally sexualized. And so something like pregnancy or lactation or, or um, breastfeeding is not normally something that, that we sexualize. But in an erotic context, we're taking an activity that isn't eroticized and then we're putting it all in with all of these sexy feelings around it. So with adult nursing, you might find that there is a, a power dynamic. So you've got kind of the mommy and you've got someone role playing a more vulnerable role and so it might feel really good to feel helpless or cared for or soothed um, in in the case of actually drinking breast milk with someone who is lactating that can also feel like there's um, a really joy in experiencing these changes in someone's body or taking in more of their fluids there are also people who like it from a, a role play perspective of kind of bringing in the primalcy of lactation and so reducing it to this sort of like animal or pet play or role play type of thing where someone gets to be a cow and we get to role play udders and milk machines and all those different types of vibes. So if somebody wants to explore this or bring it up with a partner, I I can imagine that it can feel very intimidating just because we live in this super erotophobic world in which there is so much judgment uh, against raisins and other things. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I'm reserving my judgment only for raisins. I'm not going to judge anybody's sexuality. Uh, and I actually... You're going to get a lot of, like, raisin fetishists, like, coming to your show. Maybe. I'm really upset about gonna raisins come out today. Wow. I'm definitely going to piss someone off. That's for sure. I mean, all the different explanations or sources of these lactation fetishes make so much sense to me. Like, that appeal of being cared for. That is a natural desire. But people get their back up. When they're, as you said, when we're fetishizing something that isn't traditionally seen as erotic. So how do you bring this up with a partner? Yeah, I I think that's so true. I think there's a lot of judgment. There's a lot of like, you're deviant, you're messed up, like you're dirty. Like, why do you want this? Um, And really, I think if someone brings us, if, if my partner said to me, hey, I'm interested in a lactation fetish, I might say, oh, like, tell me more. And let me understand, like, let me get curious about this with no obligation. I haven't said, like, yes, let's do this. And and for the person who's talking about their fantasy, I think it's so interesting when someone talks about how they want to feel 
in their fantasy. That's so much more relatable to me than all the things that you want to do. Because we've just talked about like six, seven different ways that you can experience a lactation fantasy. So if I immediately think, oh, this is about them wanting to turn me into a cow, they want a cow role play, and I'm not into that. But really, it's more about what you said, like this adoration, this nurturance, this like being cared for, then I want to hear that from them. I want to hear them say, oh, well, I'm interested in it because I think it would be really relaxing. It, I feel like I'd be close to you and feel cared for you. It's really this a vibe of maybe it's a maternal vibe. Maybe it's just an authority vibe. Maybe it's a parental vibe. And, and that gives them a chance to offer something to their partner with more pieces for their partner to potentially connect to. And so if their partner's like, you know what, I'm not into the, the lactation thing, but I love this idea of you feeling more cared for. Like I would love to feel in this role of I'm caring for you. Then maybe you'll come up with another fantasy together. I appreciate that so much, getting back to feelings, because every human interaction is ultimately an emotional one. And we don't always need a full explanation. I think sometimes people want to know, well, why? Why would they want to dress up like a cow? And they want to psychoanalyze, and they want to go back to early childhood experiences. But we don't always know the why, right? So you can come up with theories. And even in the psychological community, these theories are so limited and so flawed and so biased. For some of us, it's just, it's an excitement. I don't know why I'm excited by certain things. You know, something that I really, really, really enjoy. Um, And not in a way that it's going to give me like an orgasm, but I just really, really like plucking a hair. Like a good pluck gets me excited. I haven't spent a ton of time figuring out why that is. Like when I was in grade four or five, I remember pulling out a bunch of hair on my head because I was so fascinated to look at the root. And I pulled out so many hairs that I became, I got a bald spot. And my mom like went to the Chinese store and got me this like tonic for it. It is a long story, sorry. And I remember not really caring that much because it was like, oh, it'll grow back. I'm a kid. But then the older kids made fun of me for it because I sat down at the piano and got smaller. Uh, I mean, I was already small, but they saw the bald spot and they made fun of it. And so I'm thinking about how I love to pluck a hair and I could maybe go back to that experience and the trauma and the like being made fun of and associated with like, you know, a reclaiming. But honestly, I don't care. Like I've never I just brought that up now but it's not a reflection I've ever made so I like this thing and I'm not super worried about why I like it I think another really important piece uh, that comes from what Luna just said is that the first thing you came up with was curiosity right like oh tell me more about that and I think that's so important that partners don't have to want the same things you can always say yes you can always say no you can always say maybe but my fear is when that no is a no way, no how, end of conversation. So if I'm not into something, I can say, ooh, I don't think I'm ready for that. Let's talk about it. Let me learn more. But if I say no, that's gross. Raisins are gross. (laughs) Uh, End of conversation. (laughs) That's when we run into an impasse. So I would love for every no to be a start of a conversation. For me to say, well, you know, that doesn't really appeal to me. But let me talk about why. Let me ask more questions. Let me talk about my vulnerabilities. Let's talk about what I'm afraid of. Let's talk about what holds me back. Let's talk about my shame. And then the no isn't the end of the conversation. It's the start of one. And I think that's what you're so good good at doing around this huge range of topics. So thank you. Thank you for answering that question. And hopefully that helps the person who sent it in because it was a pretty broad question. Uh, do you have time for a couple of more? Yeah, let's do Okay, so this one comes up often, and it's around small penises. So this person writes, and I get a lot of emails like this, I have a very small penis. It stands erect at almost four inches. It makes me self-conscious. I've never had a problem making a partner orgasm, but can you please talk about small penises because it sounds like bigger is always better, and mine is the size of a pinky finger. 
Yeah, I'm so glad this person asked this question because I think it's one that, that I receive often too. And there is so much of these narratives that, that bigger is better for everyone. And and that's not necessarily true. And it actually acts more as like a, a symbolism. And so we can blame patriarchy here mm-hmm. because, you know, patriarchy set up all of these standards that are supposed to be about this is better, this is more masculine, this is more powerful, this is more how you get the sex. And um, we all know that that's not true. And I think that also porn has done us, um, not necessarily porn, but I think the fact that we don't have good sex education and then porn shows us this like sensationalized view of what sex is supposed to look like. And porn is entertainment. And so of course everything's going to be bigger. Of course everything's going to be more dramatic. And we start to associate porn with like the type of sex that we should be having versus like, let's just get inspired and mused and delighted by whatever porn is exciting us about. And I think that um, also it goes back to even our conversation around pegging, that there is this expectation that all of anybody with a penis, that all of their sexuality is like channeled through this penis so everything they have to offer all the orgasms all the pleasure all the arousal all the desire is supposed to come through the penis and um this sets up a whole bunch of other problems i mean sex doesn't have to end when penises end you know sex doesn't have to be centered around penetration and so um this question really opens up so much about how we talk about sexuality for penises and and what that means now there are people who might enjoy a a bigger penis they might enjoy you know bigger bodies they might enjoy cute ears like I mean it's just like anything else people might have preferences and if you have a preference around a particular body part especially a penis I would ask yourself like interrogate that preference because is it your preference or have you just internalized a lot of the misogyny and patriarchy that's out there that told you that you should want this and for someone that's struggling with you know it sounds like this person's having really good sex and that sex isn't just about bringing your penis to the table I mean I've said that on tinder so many times which is probably why I'm banned from tinder (laughs) And, you know, if that's your only offering, like that's not that's not special, you know, get get some skills at at some other things and really start to explore what you have to offer your partner beyond, you know, penis penetration. I I think so much about, you you know, penis and and what it means and, you know, how people like you said, it's always everyone always says, oh, bigger is better. And there's this ongoing joke. But when I think about sex and I think about our sex life, I feel that. There's so much buildup that doesn't have to do with penetration. Like I feel as though if you're if if I if I or this person was concerned about having a small penis, it's like there's so much else you could do to your partner without penetrating that you could explore. Um, you know, like like take 15, 20, 30, 40 minutes and lead up to sex. Build your partner up, like massaging, touching talking then once you get to to penetration if you choose to do it it's like just an I don't want to say an afterthought but it's just something else I mean I do treat it like an afterthought well you do yeah I mean just I was just gonna joke around I'm like I feel like you don't need penetration I know what you you need you know what you need and sometimes I'm like I'm just here you know she's and it's always like okay I'm good now I'm like, no, 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 I'm still here. I'm still here. <laughs> my sa- my lightsaber penis yeah, where yeah. I keep all my sexual energy. Yeah, she's just like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> That's but- what I pictured. I pictured, as you were describing it, Luna, like somebody with their penis, like a big lightsaber from Star Wars or something like that. <laughs> and, and, and when I think about penis size, it, it, being tied to cultural expectations as opposed to physiological, actual 
benefit. Uh, I really think about folks, for example, with vaginas who are like, I, I need a huge penis. Okay, that's fine. Maybe you have a longer vagina. But that sounds insulting when somebody hears this. So we've got these two sides of the equation. Vaginas are supposed to be tiny and neat and tight, and penises are supposed to be massive. And I'm thinking that is just a recipe for disaster in most cases, unless you like that kind of pain. So I think we need to be more mindful of how we talk about penises. And I know, I don't think I joke about penis size, but sometimes I'll be like, oh, a penis. And I, I shouldn't speak that way because I, I do like a penis. I think sometimes when I ever have joked about like, oh, another penis, it's because of all the harassment around penises. It's because of all the unsolicited dick pics. So it's not that I think penises are gross or that I dislike penises, but sometimes the people attached to those penises act like douches and that turns me off of the penis. Whereas if you're just nice, and polite and kind, I'm more likely to like your penis. Let me be clear. I don't want to see your penis just because you're a nice person. <laughs> but me yeah, either. No, you don't. So, so. You just got us a whole bunch of DMs with dick pics, yeah. Jen. <laughs> no, <That's> what... <laughs> no dick pics, please. Please, if you are going to send dick pics, Brennan, would you be willing to receive them? You know what? Sure. Send them over to me. <laughs> you know what? Send them to send them to Brandon. Verity Brandon. Verity Brandon, yeah. And I will be sure to comment back on your dick pic why on earth anyone feels the 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 right to send unsolicited dick pics i know brandon's always like mind blown about it but you shouldn't be mind blown because it's patriarchy and it's entitlement uh luna you're just you're brilliant you know i think you're the most brilliant the most punny before i let you go uh, i wanted to just share this quick question with you from somebody who wants to go to a sex club but they are very petite and very self-conscious about how other people will perceive their small breasts their nervous that they will attend an event and not look feminine enough to other people in order to be attractive. So this person is saying when things go back to normal and sex clubs are open again, is this a normal concern for someone's first time? And can you provide any tips on how to build my confidence about my body before I go? Thank you so much for sending this question. Uh, I I really relate to this question because I think sometimes I go to sex clubs or sex places and I'm like, oh, like I'm too big for this place. I'm too this for this. I'm too old. I'm too whatever. And, and, and I think this really goes to speak again to this, this idea that there's only a certain set of characteristics that are sexy. And that, that, that set of characteristics, it's so narrow, like pretty much JLo fits into it and like nobody but else. But she's too old now. And so, right? <laughs> she's, but she's not aging what no, is she I doing <laughs> oh i didn't mean she's too old people by the way i meant more that you know the world says that women yeah. expire yes. luna will never be yes. too old because we are the exact same age <laughs> yes this is exactly yeah <laughs> we're on the ageless train together that's what we're doing <laughs> like, and i think the the problem with sex clubs too is that all of their websites look like just people who are fitting this like narrow standard of attractiveness and so there's only thin people there's only white people there's only young people usually pictured on the site and so when you're starting to explore for the first time you're like oh my god are these the only people who go to the club that's actually not true i think i've i've been to lots of sex clubs and there's such a diversity of bodies there and what's awesome about it and what's the sexiest thing is the people who are really feeling themselves like they are like "Mm, I feel good tonight and not in a way that is cocky or arrogant like they're competing with other people they just feel like they belong in that space they feel like they belong in the sexiness they brought to that space and so what I would suggest is you know get into that headspace before you go to the club 
So if you got to dance in front of the mirror, you got to put on your sex jam, you got to put on pasties or lingerie or whatever you want, whatever makes you feel sexy is then going to translate to other people. And especially the people who are going to appreciate your body and your sexiness. It's so unfortunate that we have really put in, and I think this does happen in, in sex clubs as well, we've really put so much emphasis on physicality when it comes to sex. And what smells good, what tastes good, what, you know, like looks good, what all these kinds of all of our other senses are also involved in attraction and our erotic imagination and the way that we vibe with someone and someone's flirtiness and making eye contact. And, you know, there there really is this unfair um, association with like physical attractiveness, according to conventional beauty standards and like sexual satisfaction. And that's not true, because actually people who are sexually confident in the way that is about letting go of self-judgment, self-criticism, they have more sexual satisfaction. They have more fun because they're more playful, they're more relaxed, and they're also more empathetic about other people's bodies. So they're creating connections that are better and resulting in hotter sex. You said it. And I I remember I've told people this before that the first time I went to Desire Resort and Spa, I remember being like younger and thinner and more conventionally attractive, but you know, 20 years younger, at least than most people there. And I remember looking at these women and thinking, what? I want what they have, right? Like they were just walking Mm. around with this confidence. And I remember from that day forward deciding that's how I'm going to live. Like, and it was, it was really Mm. revolutionary. And that's, that's a criticism that I've shared constructive criticism with desire resorts in the past that everyone in their brochures, everyone on their Instagram, they look the same and people will message me and say, am I going to fit in? I don't look like that. And I'm like, that's either the staff or paid models and I you know it it is difficult to get through to brands and folks know that I'm a a big fan of the experience at Desire but that doesn't mean that it's perfect I really wish that you know their marketing would reflect the people who actually want to go there and that doesn't mean that those people don't invest in their aesthetics right lots of people want to like get dressed up or put on heels or do their hair or do whatever it is you do to feel physically attractive too but there's a broader range of people who are into this and brands are missing out by using such a one-dimensional portrayal. Yeah, I'm thinking back to the some of those early trips and some of the people that I found the most attractive are exactly what Luna said, those that are most comfortable. There was this, uh, you know, this one trip that we went on in this one person, not conventional, like not magazine-esque in that sense. And I remember thinking, she is so attractive. What about her? is so attractive and it was the confidence it was the comfort and it was like and she was kind and polite and and it was just she was and it just exuded this air of like sexiness that i wouldn't have expected and again this was years ago but even for me going i remember how uncomfortable i was with my own body then and your lightsaber and my lightsaber, yes, thank you. Um, but it's the idea that even today, like if we were to go to a place where clothing is optional, I'm not, It's it always takes me a little bit of that kind of like working yourself up to be like, okay, and I'm going swimming with no clothes on. And once It's been I, so long. It's been so long since <laughs> I've done that. But my point is, is that once I do do that and I shed that self con- uh, self-consciousness, um, I feel so much better. Yeah. <laughs> like you just, y- you literally have nothing to hide. And when you have nothing to hide and the other people have nothing to hide, it's just, it's, 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 it's life changing. 
Yeah. It, or it can be. It can be. It was for us. And I yeah. I, I want to add, too, to the, fl- the flip side is that people who are conventionally attractive, and when I say conventionally, I basically mean the type of people you tend to see on the cover of magazines, uh, people who how do I say this, lean into that and feel entitled because of it. Because I see this at sex clubs. I see this at swinger parties. They're like, well, I'm so hot and I'm so young. That entitlement is the most off-putting. It turns me off so much. And I do think to some degree, because I'm younger, I will sometimes attract that. They'll come over to us and feel like entitled, like we must hang out. We must have something in common because our bodies look alike. And part of that conversation oftentimes involves their speaking disparagingly about other guests. And there is no bigger turnoff for me. Like yeah, just, no, I, it's, I, it's so gross. So I really hope for this person that uh, that you go and explore if it's something that's curious to you. I would not let anything about your body hold you back. Like if you, I think if you come with the right attitude and as Luna said, that confidence, and that doesn't mean that confidence is unfaltering, but just this, you know, know that you deserve to be there. Like you either paid to get in or you walked in the door, so you deserve to take up some space. So Luna, thank you so much. You are so brilliant. I wish you could be with us every single week. I'm going to try and figure out a way to make that happen. Me too. Bring me back. I'm just going to show yeah. up at your place. I know where you live. So <laughs> Perfect. Can you tell people where to find your brilliant courses on everything from body confidence and liberation to cock and ball torture to how to be a dom to better blowjobs as well as your podcast? Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for for having me. This is always so much fun talking to you too. And um, yeah, bring me back. Bring me. Just come to my house, and you can be in this little like puzzle piece thing that I've created <laughs> here, and we'll record. Um, so at lunamitadas.com, I've got like you're right. Like I have about thirty on demand webinars on so many different topics. So you can watch anytime. Um, and folks can also find um, the Plug Podcast on Spotify, iTunes, and SoundCloud. And you can also check out my YouTube. YouTube channel. There's lots of good free kind of starter information there. If you're curious about things like femdoming or cock and ball torture, or even things that are about enhancing just your, you're getting into your body and out of your head within sex. So if you're interested in sensual sex, you're interested in dirty talk, there's lots of information up there too. Luna, you're the best. Thanks for chatting with us today. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Great chatting with you, babe. Wow, that was great. As always, whenever I hear Luna speak, I, I feel great. I laugh a lot and I learn a lot. Yeah, there's so, a lot of giggling going on. Yeah, well, that's that was me. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, folks, for joining us today. A reminder again that Womanizer has some great deals on their site. Check them out at womanizer.com and use code Dr. Jess to save. Wherever you're at, hope you have a great one. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. Improve your life.